0: I'm Melissa Lee and This is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup: Guy Darmi, Tim Steemore, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, a regime change on Wall Street. Those words from noted investor Tom Lee as names like GameStop continue to rip higher. Just look at the move in the after-hours session. We'll get Tom's take on the Reddit rebellion and why he thinks this movement might be here to stay. Plus, sizzling hot. Beyond Meat soaring today. The big deal that sends shares back toward an all-time high. And later, stick around for a bonus hour of Fast Money. That's right. We're going to do two hours tonight. We want to hear from you. So if you've got any investment questions, tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We just might answer you on the air. We start off with earnings alerts on Microsoft, AMD, and Starbucks. All three stocks on the move in the after-hours session after reporting results. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down the numbers. Debos is all over AMD as the call kicks off. Kate Rogers is standing by on Starbucks. But we kick things off tonight with Josh Lipton and more on Microsoft's big quarter. Josh.
1: So, Melissa, for Microsoft, these are just strong beats across the board, not just the bottom and the top. But look at these segments. Revenue and productivity and business processes, $13.4 billion. That was an increase of 13 percent, better than expected. Within that office, 365 commercial revenue growth, 21 percent, 20 percent constant currency. Intelligent cloud segment, 14.6 billion. Also a beat within that. Azure revenue growth, 50 percent. That was certainly better than the estimates I was seeing. Morgan Stanley, for example, was looking for closer to 41 percent in the quarter. And finally, revenue in more personal computing, 15.1 billion. That's an increase of 14 percent. Also a beat. I did check in with Kirk Matern over at Evercore. Want his quick take on the quarter. Bottom line for Kirk, very strong results across the board. Azure, he says, blowing out expectations with that print. Office 365 commercial business up 20 percent. You are seeing Kirk's strong monetization trends of offerings like teams. As the economy reopens, Kirk is betting this could be the start of several very strong quarters on the commercial side of Microsoft's business. This conference call, remember, kicks off at 530 Eastern, at which point we'd expect CFO Amy Hood to give us guidance. Melissa, back to you.
0: All right, Josh. Thank you, Josh Lifton. Guy Dami, what do you make of this quarter with the stock moving higher after hours?
2: A number of things, Melissa, and I'm glad you mentioned that there's two hours tonight. Hopefully, I'll have a chance to run to the men's room at some point. But what I'll say about Microsoft (laughs) is uh, it just shows you how lousy IBM's quarter was. I mean, I had Azure growth at 48 percent, but we're splitting hairs with Magnum PI there. But the thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that operating margins are 41.5 percent. I think the street was at 37 percent. Now, last night, we talked about... Apple trading at 32 times next year's numbers, and we talked about valuation. Well, I tell you what, Microsoft at 32 times, given this quarter and given the growth rate, to me, is still extraordinarily reasonable. We're now above the September 2nd high, which I think is 235. That's your, that's your level of trade around. We really haven't wavered on this name for a long time, and I think you stay the course. This quarter gives you no reason to get out.
0: 48% I think is in constant currency. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the street is going ah. with the 50%, which is better than what was expected and, of course, better also compared to, to last quarter. Dan Nathan, where do we go here with Microsoft?
3: Well, listen, it's doing kind of what Apple did. It kind of rallied into the number here um, today, closing at a new all-time high, which is actually fairly impressive when you consider the rotation that we saw out of mega-cap Tech over the last few months. So you're seeing piling into the stuff that worked really well last year, and it worked early in the pandemic. You know, I'll just take it a bit more macro here, Mel. Obviously, Microsoft did all everything that they needed to do and then some. It was a very high bar. There's 40 analysts who cover this stock on the street, 37 of them ready to buy, three a hold, no sell. So the fact that they put up that beat, let's see what the guidance looks like. But I would just push back for one second here. Trading at 31 times next year's earnings and 10 times next year's expected sales, I would say with expected EPS and sales growth of about 10%, the stock is really rich on a very historical basis. So unless you're telling me that valuation really doesn't matter anymore, and maybe it doesn't if you are a $2 trillion behemoth, which is what Microsoft is likely to open at tomorrow, then fine. But I just don't love the crowding right now in these names. I was optimistic that they'd put up good quarters. But the fact is, we're going to have Apple and Microsoft at $4 trillion in market cap. Everyone's on the same side of the boat here. That makes me a little concerned
0: or maybe valuation doesn't and we've had the conversation so many times or maybe valuation in this market doesn't matter in a market in which earnings power and earnings forecasts are so flimsy going to the next year and maybe microsoft karen is an example of of one that can in fact forecast pretty well where it's sitting right now
4: well i guess we'll have a clear picture after the call but i, I mean the points guy and dan made that this was a really high bar to come into and beat and i mean To me, these revenue beats, the size of the revenue beats, that's kind of amazing when you're already at such a big size as a company and to be able to have, you know, in various divisions, 10 percent revenue beat, not just growth, beat. That's kind of amazing. So they deserve to trade at a premium multiple. I'm not really sure what what is that premium. I'm not quite sure. They Remember, they do have a ton of cash. So you have to back that out when you think of uh, how expensive the enterprise value is, but They also, it sounded like on some of the uh, language that I did read, we'll hear more in the call, but it didn't sound like they felt like they were really pulling forward. It sounded to me like they see this as a secular change that will continue. So I'm staying the course here.
0: Yeah, they're in the right parts of the business. I mean, in terms of cloud, they're the second biggest cloud vendor in the world. Behind Amazon, Tim, they're in video games. They just released new consoles. I mean, they're in the sweet spot for this economic environment.
5: Right, and and again, this this was a Dick Fosbury kind of a bar. Who can you remind us again of of, of Dick Um,
0: Fosbury? Because I think there might be new viewers who might not have caught the reference in the past. And we, of course, we all want to know.
5: He he perfected the Fosbury flop, which was a way of going over the the, the high bar. Um, What more needs to be said? I mean, it was a thing of beauty, it was a thing of art. Much of what Microsoft has done today, again, the commercial cloud revenues of 34% growth, I mean, the street was somewhere 25, 26, 27. Um, Gaming, let's talk about gaming. Gaming is is now about 12% of sales. It's it's extraordinary. And the multiple that's being discussed here, Caution flags, except for the fact that it's rewarded that multiple, and it's been trading, it's been re-rating on a higher multiple, really for the last three years, and and, and a, a cloud mix that is now north of 40% means that on top of Azure, um, you you've got you've got pillars of strength that are, you know, I think probably worth investing in. Guy talked about the levels on the stock, um, getting through this 235 level. Look, the stock, largely from those July 9 highs, um, had done very little um, and and had moved kind of in a range from kind of 210 to 225, 230, um, with a lot of mega cap tech doing more than that. Um, This is uh, an emphatic breakout. And maybe you don't buy it tomorrow morning, but um, it seems to me that the stock had actually consolidated around what had been two fantastic consecutive quarters.
0: I see Guy raising his hand, and I'm tempted to just ignore it. But, but no, go ahead, Guy. What would you like to contribute?
2: No, I know you make me feel as if I was at home, which I am, by the way, if you ignore me. No, I I don't, far be it for me to correct him in such a public forum. But Dick Fosbury didn't perfect Uh-oh. the Fosbury flop. He actually created it. Dwight Stones perfected it. And folks, in the NBC world, that's the more you know. <laughs>
0: That's the more, yeah, fast money, a font of tradable <laughs> I and hate being useful in public useless like that. information. Um, remember when IBM reported Dan and um, what did they report? cloud and cognitive services down four and a half percent year on year, when you compare that to Microsoft's Azure, and granted, it's not completely apples to apples. it's maybe like apples to pears kind of comparison. But in terms of the order of magnitude difference between the two, it's tremendous. What does this tell you about? IBM and the challenge it has as it goes towards the spin off later this year.
3: Uh, it tells me that IBM is, is really just... I, listen, I took it off my main board. I don't even have it on my screen anymore. I think Palantir is where it used to be. I, I mean that really seriously. I haven't looked at IBM since Palantir went public a few months ago through a direct listing. And here's the thing about IBM, I'll just tell you. Did you notice, even in this crypto craze, they stopped running that... Uh, you remember that tomato that used to make its way around the world on the blockchain? This was yeah. probably 2017, 2018. They don't do that. They were chasing every shiny object over the last five years, and they've absolutely gotten nothing right. So you tell me if they're going to get this Red Hat thing right. Obviously, the person in charge now is the one who used to run Red Hat. I just don't think so. Um, Listen, as far as Microsoft, I want to go back to that for one second here. I think all these guys are right. I mean, listen, this thing is just, they're just doing everything right, and they're just, like, flexing right now. But I guess at some point, you just have to decide, right, like, how many $2 trillion sort of names can continue just to box out everything else, And, and, and that's a bit of a concern and don't think for a second at some point people are going to wake up and say 31 times uh, earnings and, and about 10 times sales is expensive, especially if we start to see interest rates kind of creep up a bit more, which I think this panel thinks is going to happen. So at some point in 2021, you better watch out below in some of these very crowded. Mega we cap saw techniques. interest
0: rates creep higher though, Dan. It didn't fall out of bed.
3: Well, hold on, Mel, did it do anything over the last few months until just about Mm -hmm. literally a couple weeks ago? I mean, the stock ran 10% in a straight line into this print. It's up 5.5%. I'll bet you this. I'll bet you this, that this stock fills in that earnings gap over the next couple of weeks. You're a little bit of a market historian. You've been doing this a little bit. You often talk about how often some of these early leaders in the earnings season, you know, they kind of get that little, uh, you know, jitterness out of the way or whatever. We saw Netflix gap up 16%. It gave back almost half of that trying to fill in the gap. You might see Microsoft do that over the next couple of days, too.
0: Do you agree with our friend Dan Guy?
3: I love, we got two hours of salty Dan tonight. I am so fired.
2: I know exactly what he's saying. Listen, he's going to be right. My only point is, you know, again, we, we mentioned IBM at the top. I mean, this just illustrates this Microsoft quarter, how lousy IBM's quarter was, number one. Number two, if you like Apple at 32 percent, thirty-two times next year's numbers with their growth, I think you have to love Microsoft at 32 times with their growth. That's my point. But to Dan's, uh, the point about trading he makes Yeah, you could absolutely see it trade back down to the mid-220s. I just think you're probably going to see north of 250 before that.
0: All right, 19 minutes to the start of Microsoft's call. So let's move on to AMD. In the meantime, the stock volatile in the after hours as the company's call gets underway. Let's get to DeBosa with more. Deidre.
6: Melissa, AMD delivering on those high expectations this quarter. Although shares are bouncing around in the after hours, it was up as much as about 5%. Just after the results hit, turned lower, now it's down about 1.5%. Now, that may just have to do with the run that this stock has had over the last year, up some 90%. One of the best-performing chip makers. First quarter and full-year revenue guidance, that was strong, better than even the whisper number. The chip maker benefiting from PC sales and those new video game consoles from Sony and Microsoft Plenty of questions, though, still around the Xilinx acquisition and potentially renewed competition from Intel now that Pat Gelsinger has returned as CEO. AMD has, of course, been taking market share from Intel for years, but can it continue to widen that lead if Intel starts performing better? That's one of the key questions here that analysts are asking. Um, I did ask Bernstein analyst Stacey Rasgon why shares started to slip, and he just pointed to those high expectations. Um, and like many others, he is listening for more commentary on the call. That just kicked off with CEO Lisa Su. Talking about 2020 as an inflection point, and saying that they will continue to build on that momentum that they saw last year. And don't miss her because she will be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow. Back over to you, Melissa. All
0: right, Deidre, thank you. Debo on AMD, and she'll be on the conference call, by the way, and keep us posted on that. So we're seeing the stock down by percent or so. It Ran up 15 percent going into the quarter in the past three months, and we're seeing sort of the same, you know, context for for Texas Instruments, which also posted what looked like a pretty good quarter, trading lower in the after hour session, also ran into the results. Tim, um, where do you go in chips?
5: Well, first of all, AMD, what a year. Um, What a year both on the scoreboard and what a year in terms of really strategically how how they continue to box out Intel and and kind of highlighted Intel's weaknesses. and, And a lot of design wins at the high end. Um, so both the client and end server markets, um, they continue to, you know, they come into 21 extremely well positioned at a time when a lot of people feel the enterprise dynamic could actually be picking up if, you know, as we come out of COVID, uh, whenever that is. And, and so it's a question of where is the stock priced? And, and that's always been the question here. Um, in terms of the positioning of the business and strategically where they sit, um, you know, I think you like the company. Uh, I don't love the valuation. I don't chase it. Um, and again, if I'm going to chase a valuation in in the chip space, I, I would be chasing an Nvidia, uh, which is which is clearly when it comes to graphics and gaming uh, and some of the high tech, high end chips is is where I think people are at least willing to pay up for the innovation, uh, the consolidation of of acquisitions. And I think that's really the story.
0: Not Intel, not Intel guy.
5: Well, I mean, you can make a pretty compelling case,
2: and good for Dan Nathan, who made that case when the stock, I think, was trading around forty-seven and a half, forty-eight, 48, and obviously you saw where it topped out at. So, although I make fun of Dan calling him salty, he's been spot on in a lot of these names. AMD, quickly, I'll just say this. They gave you full year 2021 revenue guidance, and they said, oh, by the way, revenue is going to be up 37% year over year, which blew away the numbers that the street was expecting. So... I understand why people think this stock is rich. It was rich $30 ago, respectfully, and you probably will we, we'll see a pullback. But go back and look. Every time they report earnings, stock sells off, Lisa Su comes on TV the next day, and a week later it seems to be making all-time highs once again. My sense is that will happen again in AMD.
0: Do any of these chip stocks, Karen, look like values? And they may not look like values just on the surface in terms of their P.E. numbers, but I mean, in terms of maybe the guidance, they can give guidance that's pretty decent compared to some other companies in other sectors.
4: Yeah, so just the valuation, though, to me is, I mean, AMD, that, that was a great quarter. Good for them. It's only down that much. I mean, they're a victim of their own success. That run was just extraordinary. Text that run also, not not as much as AMD, but... You know, it's expensive to the market, it's expensive to itself, so I, I really, I mean, if I had to pick value, may, I would look at Intel. That doesn't mean I would pull the trigger, because I think that's going to be a long time to turn around. And, I, you know, I, I'm thinking of it, 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 should it be in the IBM camp, where, you know, it, it, is, it is cheap. It absolutely should be cheap. Um, Intel, I think, is better than IBM, but the whole space, I don't know, just is too, too expensive for me.
0: Should Lisa Sue be worried about Pat Gelsinger, Dan?
3: Of course. I mean, listen, Lisa and Sue knows what it's like to feel like the underdog, and, and, and she just really dominated over the last five years. And so um, I, I think that Gelsinger, you know, he's going to have a nice honeymoon period. Um, they're going to be able to re, re, yeah, I don't know, kind of resort the decks, if you will. They made a lot of acquisitions over the last few years. Mobileye, um, Altera, there was a, a few others there. There was one, um, you, you know, in the gaming space and crypto and all this sort of stuff. So they have all the pieces of the puzzle here they just got to kind of strip down he's kind of doubling down on the manufacturing I think that right now a lot of people see that is maybe something they would have liked them to do but the fact that they've already said they're gonna kind of stay the course and maybe get things right makes the value that much more interesting so to me when we we're talking about this name after they reported um, I think late last week we said listen you may see a gap fill back towards the mid to low 50s that's probably where you get back in you probably have very good valuation support and then catalyst support going forward with the new management and I I think Tim said something really interesting about NVIDIA. Mel, here's another name that has literally been going sideways over the last four months, had not made a new high since that se- September 2nd high. They're not going to report um, for a few weeks, though. So this is one that I think you've got to keep a very, very close eye on. I think the semis um, are kind of overowned right here. I know that there's some massive chip shortages, which is going to be a huge tailwind going forward. I think the valuations are stretched. You'd probably love to see the whole space come in a little bit and set up for a move coming out of Q1.
0: All right. Coming up, a regime change on Wall Street. Tom Lee joins us with his take on the Reddit rebellion and why he says the old guard needs to pay close attention to what is going on. But first, shares of Starbucks on the move in the after hour session on earnings. That call is underway. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Starbucks on the move after earnings. Let's get to Kate Rogers, who's got the details. Hey, Kate.
7: Hey Melissa. Well, a mixed quarter for Starbucks. A beat on EPS here and a miss on revenue for Q1. Across the board, the company's same store sales were a bit lower than anticipated as COVID continues to resurge around the country and the world. Global comps down five percent. In the Americas, down six percent. In the U.S., also down five percent. And in its second home market of China, a bright spot there. Same store sales climbing five percent for the quarter. Lower transactions at stores were boosted by higher average tickets. That's across all of its markets. The also lowering its EPS guidance for Q2. Starbucks announcing it has 21.8 million active Starbucks rewards members that's up 15% year-on-year and an important part of its growth plan moving forward. Remember, the company is realigning its portfolio, leaning into those new customer preferences with things like drive through mobile order and pay, curbside. We expect to hear a lot more about that on the call that's underway right now. And one of the people that's been leading that consumer effort, Roz Brewer, is leaving the company, the COO leaving Starbucks at the end of February, taking on another CEO role at a publicly traded company that has yet to be named Brewer- Brewer here was former Sam's Club CEO, so has both restaurants and retail experience. It's going to be really interesting to see where she heads next from here. And also Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson will join Squawk on the street for a first on CNBC interview tomorrow morning. So be sure to tune in for all of that. We'll bring you any headlines we get from the call. Melissa, back over to you.
0: Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Uh, Tim Seymour, what'd you make of this quarter?
5: Look, the China growth is incredible. And remember when that's all we cared about with the growth stories and, and, and we'd look at, you know, again, plus five percent in a very, very difficult environment. They're going to uh, you know, grow same store sales They in China, 100 percent, 160 new stores. So a lot to be excited about. And frankly, have reiterated 21 Guide. So uh, I think the numbers are going to be there. The things that I'm most excited about as a longtime shareholder is, is that, you know, the mobile is, is mobile is 25 percent of sales, where it was about 17% percent coming in. So with all of that is the, the loyalty dynamic and, and the, the larger ticket sizes that we've seen. Starbucks continues to be able to have pricing power in a competitive marketplace. Um, I, like These numbers were as expected. And I think we would gotten a guide on that.
4: Yeah. Karen. Yeah, well, a little disappointing on the um, the Americas, but I think it's really not It's sort of delayed gratification here because I think those numbers will come back. And um, I agree with Tim that 25% mobile, that's the crux of the story there. I mean, so that's tremendous growth, and I think we will end up seeing it. All that having been said, though, the stock is expensive, uh, expensive to itself, expensive to the market. So this is one where I really have to think about, um, you know, do I sell this in favor of something else? Die.
2: It's interesting. I mean, Tim mentioned the full year guidance is in line, but they guided lower for the second quarter. So I think it feels as though people are trying to figure out and make, and make sort of heads or tails of this. I think the bull story is still intact. The problem is, as Karen and Tim mentioned, is valuation. At these prices, I think basically we gave back what the stock was up today. I'm going to be interested to see how it trades tomorrow. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the stock close higher tomorrow, to be honest with you. But I think tomorrow's your tell. So gave up what it gained today. Let's see how it trades tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it is surprising, um, you know, in terms of where it's positioned, that it didn't see worse declines given the renewed lockdowns, uh, you know, in the past quarter, Dan.
3: Yeah no it's a great point Mel and I would just say this is purely anecdotal but living in New York City there's a Starbucks on you know every other block literally on every other block and I just know that You know, there's going to be a big push, there already is, to just buy local and and support your neighborhood places. So, you know, that might be something that we see as small businesses really need a boost coming out um, of this pandemic. Um, And maybe that's something that kind of hurts a Starbucks, where in many metropolitan areas in the United States, they're just massively overstored. I get everything that Tim is saying about pricing power and the digital and the ease of use and all that sort of stuff. But um, maybe that's one thing that kind of hurts North American comps in, in in the next year or so. All
0: right. We are just getting started here on Fast. Here's what's coming up next.
3: Is there a major regime change happening on Wall
2: Street? What all the action on Reddit says about the rise of the retail trader? And later, we're counting down to Facebook earnings. Why one options trader thinks investors will be hitting the like button in a big way. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of GameStop. It's surging after hours. Of course it is. The move coming after Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeted, Game stunk with two exclamation points with a link to the Wall Street Bets Reddit thread on GameStop. Our next guest believes the stock's epic move will likely signal a regime change on Wall Street. Tom Lee is head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors and the newest CNBC contributor. Tom, welcome to the family. Welcome to Fast Money.
8: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm excited to be uh, part of the family. And now you guys will teach me that secret handshake for free (laughs) drinks.
0: Yeah, offline. Offline we will do that. Um, Tom, is there a regime change going on?
8: Uh, Yeah, I I think GameStop is is telling markets there's a really bitter pill to swallow right now. And I think it's the same pill that the bond market had to take in 2011. And if I could explain, it's, uh, you know, I think for the last 10 years, out of the $3 trillion that people saved, 94% of it went into the bond market, which means today households are synthetically short stocks. I think now some of that money is flowing into equities. And when money comes into equities, it really lifts all boats. And so I think the fact that we've got a class of retail investors uh, armed with cash, and I think they're going to get more cash, and over the next 10 years, it's you know, potentially three trillion in cash, um, it's going to change the dynamic around stocks and, and potentially valuation.
0: Can you extrapolate what this might mean to the broader markets, Tom? Because right now we're seeing it in a handful of stocks, which people may not be trading in whatsoever, maybe inadvertently in um, through various ETFs, et cetera. But beyond a GameStop, beyond a BlackBerry, beyond iRobot, beyond, you know, all of these yeah. um, heavily shorted stocks that have seen wild rides, how does yeah. this impact the broader markets?
8: Uh, I think in general, PE is going to go up and look, I can give you a very concrete example. Triple C bonds in 2011, were trading at 10%. And that's a historically low yield for a a very junky speculative grade bond at JP Morgan. You couldn't, it was no research issued on triple C bonds. And today those triple C bonds now trade at seven and a half percent. So they've actually rallied monstrously further and seven and a half percent is about where investment grade bonds traded on average for almost 30 years so speculative grade bonds have become the new investment grade in terms of yield well I think that's what could happen in equities that we could see a stratification of PE and I think overall if, if people think 20 PE is expensive I mean the bond market you know it created a lot of took people out in stretchers who thought bonds were expensive in 2011 for 10 years they got even more expensive so I think PE could be a lot higher, and I think that's why you want to be synthetically long stocks for a while.
0: When do you think your colleagues on Wall Street and I use the term colleagues, just you know, other strategists, other investment professionals will acknowledge the power of this class of investor? Because to date, it seems like there's a little bit of condescension when talking about this Reddit rebellion. This is crazy, this is mob mentality, these people don't know what they're doing, they may not do the research. But the fact of the matter is, and I'm just speaking from their perspective, fact of the matter is. They've made a lot of money on GameStop and a lot of these stocks. And if you take a look at some of the Uh, other sort of, you know, stratospheric rises that we've seen in the past couple of years, whether it be a Bitcoin or a Tesla, the retail cohort had gotten these stories right from the beginning, even as Wall Street turned their nose up.
8: uh, Absolutely. I'd agree. I mean, first of all, um, the wisdom of the crowd means Price is what we have to understand. I think a lot of people think their businesses. oh, I can tell the stock market what to do. They cannot. The stock market is telling us the signal. And if someone who's a professional investor thinks only fundamental investors trade, that's a mistake. For the last 10 years, the average stock was held for 40 seconds. No one can tell me that a professional investor is fundamentally deciding every 40 seconds what to do. I think the majority of markets is based on expectations of the future, the retail investor is having a huge impact. Of course, it's gonna create, I think, inefficiencies, but those can be exploited by uh, other investors. So I think people just have to understand, this is a wake up call. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but I I think overall it's a very good force. Um, But you're absolutely right. Bitcoin is a great example of non-professional investors discovering a market. It's now proven to be pretty valid And what are we seeing this year? Institutional investors are buying this hand over fist in huge amounts. They could have bought the entire supply of Bitcoin, you know, in 2016 for one one hundredth the price.
4: Thanks for being on, Tom, and congratulations being part of the team. We're lucky to have you. Um, So you've been bullish, rightly so, since I think mid-March. Is part of your bullishness based on this P.E. multiple expansion, or is it based on the E expansion from a recovering economy?
8: Um, Karen, it's a fair question, and I think that it's two mechanisms. Um, Last year, uh, we thought S&P earnings this year could be $193, which is about $20 above consensus. And if you look at how first quarter's tracking Uh, the B is about 25%. So, I mean, right now earnings are tracking to be over $200 in the S&P. So, uh, I think there's a huge operating leverage story unfolding um, along with pent-up demand. And then on the multiple side, yes, I I think, you know, we've gotten used to saying, oh, well, FANG can trade at a 30 multiple, but everything else should trade at 10 or 15. I think the rest of the market is re-rating, and I think FANG can obviously see risk premium fall further so multiple can expand. I, I think the overall market's multiple is trending higher and unless retail literally disappears because of regulations, I, I think you're talking about a multiple that could be you know, a three, a 30 something PE on the S&P.
0: You know, Tom, a lot of people who look at what's going on with, with Reddit and, and you know, sort of dismiss it or, or say this is just a passing fad, they say it's gonna end badly. So from your perspective, how does this end?
8: um well i I think that in just broad numbers uh i think six trillion dollars could come into equities uh from households um you remember households control 100 trillion dollars of net worth in america so there there's a lot of money but a lot of it's in cash and they put three trillion over the last 10 years into bonds you know a big portion that could come into stocks but over the next 10 years they're going to probably save another three trillion and if the majority of that goes into stocks that's six trillion The stock market hasn't seen that kind of inflows probably in 50 years. So I I think that we are in a time where the equity market is becoming the new bond market. It's a better source of preserving capital because bonds are much riskier to inflation. You're almost earning nothing in yield, whereas you can buy dividend stocks. So I think the equity market is gonna become a lot richer, a lot more stable. Mm -hmm. And congratulations to all those people making you know, seeming fortunes overnight, it's amazing.
0: It is amazing. Tom, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you, Tom Lee, the newest CNBC contributor. A fun strat. Um, you know, a side effect of all this, and, and we've made the point that if all these people who are in GameStop lose their shirts in this, these are this is a cohort that, that may never come back to the market. The corollary to that, though, is that if they make a lot of money, other people who are on the sidelines holding all that cash that Tom was talking about could be – incentivized to go into the market guy because they can they see Mm -hmm. that maybe the little guy can actually win.
2: Yeah, it's a carry on effect of what we talked about last year. I think we were one of the first shows that started talking about the gamification of the stock market when there were no professional sports. And a lot of those people that typically would bet on sports found their way to the stock market. You know, We talked about Barstool, Dave Portnoy. And I think this is just sort of 2.0 2.0 of that and listen you want people to make money I, we obviously want everybody to do really well i think it's um, a tad terrifying though when somebody like elon musk makes a you know an offhanded tweet like that i mean there are people that will make money on the back of that there're also people that are going to get buried on the back of something like that i don't think you should be glib in this environment i know in the last 14 years we haven't been and we won't be and you know at this think at this point of a name like that it's much more than just retail people getting in uh, I have a buddy of mine ex-goldman partner texting me this is reminiscent of Tilray when you saw that huge move and I think this is more indicative of a fund or fund uh, funds blowing up more than the retail guys and gals uh, having their way with the stock market with a with an individual name
0: all right GameStop is up 45 uh, percent after hours right now? Well, if you think your portfolio is immune from these wild moves that we've seen in names like a GameStop, you might want to take a close look at what you own. Take the XRT retail ETF, for example. It is up nearly 17 percent in a week. You might think that the top holdings in a retail ETF are names like Target or Macy's, Walmart. In fact, GameStop is carrying the most weight at 5.3 percent, followed by names like Magnite, Blink Charging, Children's Place, and The Real Real. Dan, you flagged this earlier, that's not what you think of typically when you think of retail, these names
3: not at all I mean Tim and I were having this conversation he actively manages an ETF of stocks in a sector that he knows very well and it makes a lot of sense but when you just have these things like in an xRT this this point right here where you have all of a sudden game stock is going to open tomorrow it's going to be six or so percent of the xRT and it really comes back to kind of knowing what is in that ETF that you're trading and, and how it operates so to me this is now in the hands of the of those short squeeze people um, you know this is not really indicative of a broad retail basket trading on fundamentals, you know. And so, um, listen, I, I don't get involved in these names like GameStop and everything. I think that was a fascinating um, uh, quote that Tom had about the average stock was held for I don't know, what do you say, 40 seconds or something like that. High frequency trading has taken over. Um, but if you do want to play these names and you do actually want to define your risk or something like that, I would wade into an XRT. I would look to kind of buy puts or put spreads or something like that. That's one way to do it without getting too caught up in the frenzy here.
0: Blink, by the way, is an EV charging, charging company, and it is up 659% in three months. Tim.
5: <laughs> well, again, you know, t- Tom brought up regime change, and I, I don't think he was really talking about this. I think he was talking about retail money on the sideline. Um, and, and and so we spent a good time the last couple days, a, a fair amount of time kind of surrounding this one. Um, flow's over pros or little guys and gals against the hedge funds. Um is, is yes, on some level, and I mentioned you live by the sword, you die by the sword, a lot of short sellers get very vocal uh out there in the press to state their point. Um I, I think you have a case here where um what we're trying to do tonight is really articulate the risks. I, I ultimately as an investor believe that that you know this riptide um is is something that you waited out and and again you don't fight it now in some of these names that all of those cliches we've heard about people um remaining solvent uh you know or not being able to remain solvent as the market becomes irrational but the point i i think we want to make about the xrt is uh, it's outperformed the s p by 33 percent since mid-november um, that's not a statement per se on how healthy uh the consumer sector is we spent a lot of time talking about discretionary retail or big box or things that are doing very well um, but I, I think our point here is that the XRT, um, which is a massive, massive ETF, is now something that I think, actually, you want to wait out the riptide? I actually think there's an opportunity on the short side. I would, you know, and, and I don't think you're going to get taken out in the woodshed. Again, define your risk, do your work, only invest um, what you think you can lose. But but I think the the move here in retail as a class in that ETF, uh, and I think Dan is saying that as well.
0: Yep. Coming up, we will get more on this Reddit rebellion in a special bonus hour Fast Money. You'll hear from one former SEC lawyer who says regulators are about to come down hard on all this action. That is coming up at the top of the hour. But first, Beyond Belief, the news that sent shares of Beyond Meat bubbling to their highest level in nearly two years. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Beyond Meat topping the tape today, soaring about 18 percent after announcing a partnership with Pepsi to create and market new plant-based snacks and drinks. Drinks. Uh, beyond touching its highest level since July 2019 in today's session. Karen, uh, snacks and drinks. Snacks, I, can, I get. Drinks? I don't know. Yeah.
4: I don't know. I mean, so beyond meat, I really do believe in this secular change here. The valuation is much harder to get around. But they've done a really good job of building partnerships. And uh, to their credit, because, um, you know, even though one of the bear cases has been, what about competition? There's so many others who could come in. They have secured a a lot of spots that it's going to be hard to uh, dethrone them unless they really screw up. So good for them. That's a big partnership. Um, I can't get close to the valuation, I'm just, I'm going to have to wait till Oatly comes out and see how that trades and I don't know, maybe there's value there. But good for Beyond Meat, Ethan Brown's done a tremendous job. I mean,
0: Oatly is plant-based, but it's made out of oats. Beyond Meat makes fake meat, I don't know how you turn that into a drink of some, my head is still trying to understand (laughs) this guy, I don't know, I mean I could imagine alternative meat jerky maybe, Um, but a drink?
2: Now you, you you really on a night where we have a two-hour show, you really shouldn't plant that seed in my head. It's just not particularly fair of you. Number one, number two, if you do recall, ever since the taste test we did for Beyond Meat, I've said, listen, this is not my cup of tea in terms of product, but I love the stock, and here we are. Stock traded up to 221 today. That's the good news. The bad news, if you're looking for some, it traded almost uh, 10 times normal volume, closed around 190 or so, which is right about those previous double tops from July of last year and October. I think you've got to stay with it, because with Pepsi's distribution network and probably more deals to come, you're going to see moves like this again. But it does make sense, if you've been in the name, to sort of pare some risk down and look for a re-entry point.
0: All right, coming up, Twitter takes flight. The news has sent the little blue bird flying today. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast. Breaking news on Walgreens. Let's get to Kate Rogers. Kate.
7: Hey, Melissa, well, we told you that Starbucks COO Rosalind Brewer is leaving the company at the end of February. Dow Jones citing sources saying that Brewer will be headed to Walgreens and will become its CEO and that an announcement could come as soon as this week. Of course, Brewer having extensive experience uh, in consumer-facing businesses, former CEO of Sam's Club, time at Starbucks, and now, according to Dow Jones, heading over to Walgreens. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. We
0: can see Walgreens shares uh, moving higher in the after hour session. Tim, what do you make of this move?
5: I like this move. I think with Walgreens, I like Walgreens as a company that may be starting to go through that inflection point. Remember, this is a company that people have been waiting on a long-term strategy. It's a company that's got, uh, you know, made a bunch of acquisitions, including Village MD, and there's some sense that they're going to get into, uh, you know, the evolving healthcare space and 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 the digital healthcare space. Uh, they've got a, a number of, of tech initiatives inside of Walgreens. They have 10 billion dollars of, of healthcare investments. So I think there's a lot of intrinsic value here and a lot of opportunity. It um, sounds like you've got a CEO coming and knows exactly how to push some of the digital buttons and, and, and knows how to handle the very unwieldy, uh, you know, platform they have. So um, it's a company that's been doing nothing for a long time. And I, I think this is the beginning of a turn.
0: Yeah. If we can make a prescription drugs as easy to get as a as a latte, Karen, <laughs> I think that would be major. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, Walgreens, Walgreens and CVS has both suffered from, you know, fear of Amazon just, you know, taking business and never giving it back. But I actually think when the vaccine distribution becomes um, more prevalent, that the Walgreens and CVS's of the world will have an opportunity to get that customer back at a P.E. of 10 and change. I think it's attractive. I think it's worth a look. It's a good hire. Um, I like it. All right. Up
0: almost 4% right now. Coming up, ready to rally. Another big cap tech stock is about to report tomorrow. Option traders are betting on a big breakout. We'll bring you the trade. And stick around for a bonus hour of Fast Money. If you've got an investing question, tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer you on the air. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast. Let's check in on the huge slate of earnings still to come this week. Facebook, Apple, Tesla all on deck tomorrow after the bell. Let's bring in Bono and, Ice, and Uh You got the setup on Facebook, Bono
9: Hey, man, a large day indeed. So taking a look at the options action, only one put traded for every call that traded. That's about 50 percent higher from what we've seen, which is typically about a two to one ratio. Taking a look at the options. Options imply 6.5% move in either direction. That is exactly in line with what we've seen over the last four fiscal quarters. And I'll tell you, the trade that really jumped off the the tape to me. So 17,000 of the 300 strike calls traded and 7,500 of the 320 calls traded. But a portion of that traded as a spread. So the the Jan 29th 300, 320 call spread was bought for 315. So the option trader is betting a percent. That the stock will fi- that will- that the stock will finish above 30315 or seven percent higher between now and Friday. Risking one to make sense to make six, it's an aggressive upside call, and for that you're getting pretty aggressive risk rewards. A uh, pretty interesting trade, I thought.
0: Yep, it is interesting. We'll be watching that one for sure, Bono. And thank you for that, Bono and Ison. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show that is Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, already it's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim Seymour.
5: Yeah, again, the, the, the margin, excuse me, the mobile business with the high margin attached to it, at 25% is a reason why whatever weakness here in Starbucks is stuff I think you should be looking to add to.
0: Karen Feinerman.
4: Yeah, so we just talked about that Ros Brewer hire as uh, at Walgreens. I like it. I think the stock's attractively priced right here, even though it's up a bit on the uh, announcement of her hire. So. Dan Nathan. Walgreens.
3: Uh, yeah, AMD, good results. Nothing nothing to uh, shake a stick at there. I just suspect you see the SMH come in a little bit. That's the ETF that tracks uh, the semi-group. So SMH, I'm looking for about a 10% pullback.
0: You got such a Cheshire Cat grin on your face, Guy. I can't imagine what's going to come out of your mouth, but go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, in my head, I'm, try- I'm
2: trying to figure out how much time between when we cut for terminal break to start the next show. You got show. two minutes for How a much time do break? I have? And can I make it to where I have to go and get back in the seat If it's and close, it up if it's in close, time? By. That's the question. Uh, NASDAQ reports tomorrow before the bell. If you do see any weakness, uh, I think you should buy it. NASDAQ is a monster. Valuation is reasonable. NDAQ.
0: There are millions of viewers out there just shaking their head, Guy. Uh, that does it for this hour of Fast Money. But stick around. We've got another bonus hour coming up. So don't go anywhere much more fast right after this. Hey there, Mad Money fans. Kramer's off tonight, but you are in luck because we've got a bonus hour fast money for you coming up. Wall Street's Reddit rebellion, the trading frenzy creating big waves in the market. You'll hear from a former SEC attorney who says, Get ready for a regulatory crackdown. Plus, Twitter takes flight. The stock soaring today will break down what is behind this big move. And we want to hear from you. We are answering your questions about the hottest stocks you're trading right now. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer your question live on the air. Your traders tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour and Dan Nathan. Welcome all. Let's get right to it. We kick things off with a monster move from Microsoft. The stock is surging after hours on earnings. Josh Lipton is fresh off the earnings call. Josh, what's the news here?
1: So right now, we do have Microsoft executives talking to analyst Melissa, let me sum up some of their, their summary right here. CFO Amy Hood saying commercial cloud, $16.7 billion with growth accelerating. She called that an overall PC market that was stronger than expected. The ad market, she said, showing improvement. That, of course, benefiting Search and LinkedIn. Gaming, record engagement. CEO Satya Nadella was also on the call. In broad strokes, he says, what we're seeing here is this new age of digital transformation. And Microsoft, he says, is the one powering that with its cloud platform. He says they're investing to bring their cloud to even more customers Uh, going line by line here. LinkedIn, he called out revenue up 23 percent record levels of engagement in the quarter. Teams, Nadella says, 60 million daily active users on mobile alone now and gaming. Nadella said surpassed five billion in revenue for the first time. Launch of new consoles, he says, was the most successful in the company history. Most devices ever sold, Nadella saying, in a launch month, we are gaining console share. Melissa, back to you.
0: Did you say 60 million daily active users on mobile alone? Yeah, that was,
1: right, that was, uh, Nadella did talk about Teams and he did give that stat, Melissa. 60 million daily active users, Nadella saying, just on mobile at this point.
0: That's tremendous. Josh, thank you. Keep us posted. Josh Lipton on the Microsoft quarter. We're seeing those uh, shares up by 3.7 percent, so really holding on to that after-hours pop initially uh, when the earnings results were released. Dan Nathan, anything change your mind on Microsoft here in terms of valuation?
3: No, it's interesting. It's hard to get a sense in the after-hours, Mel. Like you said, um, the stock is trading about 240. It's up about 7.5 um, Bucks, the implied move in the options market is about 4.5% on average, the stock has moved about 3.5% over the last four quarters. Let's see how this stock acts tomorrow morning. The good news, which was expected, um, might not have been baked in yet. The fact of the matter is, is, like who out there is left to buy this stock? If you're a technical trader, fine. You may want to play for an epic breakout after a long consolidation, but when you consider where the market is and how crowded this trade is, the news was good, but at some point maybe it just has to continue to consolidate and figure out what that next leg is what that next catalyst is for the stock
5: to have a meaningful breakout.
0: Tim Seymour what did you make of some of the line items that Josh uh, had highlighted?
5: Gaming, five, yeah. $5 billion dollar business. It's it's twelve percent of sales. It's it's an extraordinary area for them, and and I think a, a higher margin area for them. Along with just the fact that the sales mix from cloud and the margin enhancement with that is is continuing to be uh, well north now of forty percent. So uh, look, yes, who's the marginal buyer? Who, who's the marginal buyer of, of any overweight you know mega cap tech stock at this point, especially with some of the liquidity trends we talked about in the previous. Hour for the market overall. Uh, Microsoft has to be as as confident of, of, a, of an overweight position as there is out there right now.
0: Yeah, Guy Adami, um, it, you know, I'm glad Tim mentioned that because for any of these tech stocks, like an Apple, let's say, which hit an all-time high just yesterday, you could have said, who is a marginal buyer for a very long time? And yet here we are.
2: Yeah, and then the flip side of the coin is then, have any of these stocks given you any reason to sell it? Like, does this Microsoft quarter uh, give you a compelling reason to get out of the name or take profits in the name, and that's, I guess, that's a back and forth. And I totally understand what Dan is saying. He's going to wind up being correct. My point earlier in the five o'clock show was, you know, Microsoft at 32 times to me is actually more attractive than Apple at 32 times for a myriad of different reasons. And the things that stuck out to me from what uh, Josh just said: uh, operating margins were 41.5%, which is staggering, much better than the street was looking for. And then he mentioned search as well. And then you have to do the read through. What does that mean for Google going or Alphabet going forward? And that's a stock that's been on fire since their last quarter. So I understand why valuation is a concern, and I understand in terms of who's the incremental buyer. But nothing in this report, nothing that I've heard, obviously, in the last hour or so, mm-hmm. is, is, is forcing anybody, I think, to hit the sell button right now.
0: There are a lot of extrapolations that we can make from the quarter. Uh, onto other companies, whether it be because of Microsoft's cloud business or because of the gaming revenues like Game Pass uh, or from uh, teams, Dan.
3: Yeah, well, you, you know, Mel, you bring up three areas that have uniquely benefited Microsoft as it relates to the pandemic. So if you thought this was a one or two quarter pull forward um, last year, then you're wrong, right? And so we've seen that it's actually been an acceleration of these trends that Microsoft has been positioning for over the last few years or so. Um, I guess at some point, really what you have to start modeling in for fiscal 2022, and we're halfway through the current year of, of 21, is what is this company value at with decelerating sort of earnings and sales these guys just talked about these fantastic operating margins of 41% Um, I think the expectation was 37 at some point all of this is going to see some deceleration and I made the point in the last hour listen I'm not making a case to sell the stock we're just talking about it here like is it is it like a pounding the table to go out and buy it right here right now I don't think so because based on fiscal 2022 you have a a consensus at 10% earnings growth 10% sales growth is trading about 31 times earnings, about 10 times sales. That seems like at 15, 16, 17 year highs, unless we're throwing out the playbook, the old playbook. We're, we're moving the, you know, the, the goalposts here. And I think as Tom Lee said in the last hour, the, the right multiple is going to be 30 times for stocks going forward. Well, if that's the case, then it's cheap as hell. And you better go in and buy it right now. But I don't have that. I don't have that playbook right now.
0: All right. Let's put a pin on that for, for just a second. We got breaking news out of Washington. Elon Moy's got the story. Elon.
6: Melissa, Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy has been taken to the hospital after he was not feeling well while in his office on Capitol Hill earlier this afternoon. Now, just today, Leahy was sworn in to preside over the impeachment trial of former President Trump, and he is third in line in presidential succession. His office says that he was examined at the Capitol by the attending physician and that he was taken to a local hospital out of, out of an abundance of caution, and that he is now being evaluated. But Democratic Senator Patrick Lay now at the hospital after falling ill. Melissa.
0: All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy with the news out of Washington. Um, let's get back to Microsoft here. We are seeing the shares tick to their after-hours session highs up by more than 5%. Uh, let's bring in Jared Weisfeld, tech sector specialist at Jefferies, for his thoughts on this quarter. Um, Jared, does, does Microsoft deserve the valuation it has?
10: So listen, by all accounts, it was an unbelievable quarter. I mean, you're talking about revenue at this kind of scale, $43 billion in quarterly revenue up 17% year on year. And, you know, when you listen to what Satya and Amy were talking about, the CEO and the CFO of the company, they're talking about these digital transformations that are accelerating at a very meaningful rate. Azure, which is Amazon's cloud uh, offering, grew by 48% year-on-year year this quarter. It showed zero deceleration from, from last quarter, and, you know, street and buy-side was certainly bracing for for a decent deceleration, and it shows uh, the resiliency of this model. Amy, the CFO, talked about some of these pandemic uh, sectors that were hit the hardest starting to recover, SMB starting to recover. So, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's very it's tough to make a valuation call because obviously the market's sitting on all time highs. But when you look at uh, you look at a structural grower like this growing top line by by 17 percent, giving you the operating leverage, uh, you know, the, the bull case is, is certainly resonating here and all aspects of the business are ticking off.
0: How do you connect the dots to other companies, Jared, in terms of the strength we saw in Microsoft and where else we could see the strength or where Microsoft is competing well against another company?
10: Absolutely. So if you look at uh, the biggest drivers to the top line beat this quarter, uh, their Windows OEM business uh, grew revenues by about 1% year on year. Might not sound that much, but Street was calling for about a 10% decline. That's a pretty large delta. We saw strength from Intel last week. They beat revenues by two and a half billion dollars. So I think it speaks to the rest of the PC supply chain in terms of strength of the business. The other obvious segment is uh, the, uh, the Azure segment in terms of the cloud offering, showing robust growth at 48% year-on-year. Year. Uh, you know, I have to imagine that that uh, that bodes well for the rest of the CSPs, the cloud service providers. When you think of uh, Amazon and uh, and Google with their selective offerings, really just you know, and, and I think that speaks to the critical point here. When you go through, you know, over the last nine months, we've had so many so many um, digital transformations that occur occur at such a rapid pace because of COVID. And it's benefiting all of the CSPs in a very significant
5: way. Hey Jared, it's Tim. In in terms of what's been going on in the chip sector, and we've you know we're we're, we're looking at AMD after the hours, Texas Instruments, um, and there's this real disparity, obviously, between the function of a lot of these different chips, and and really where these multiples trade. Uh, Bottom line, though, is that semiconductors and whether you're looking at the SMH or something that will track the entire sector uh, has led tech and and has led it every single time. And it seems like it kind of led us into this earnings period, which has also been extraordinary. So what part of the semi sector uh, are you most excited about here? And what's, you know, what's worth the multiple?
10: Yeah, absolutely. uh, Tim. So I think semis continue to remain my favorite subsector within within all of TMT. Obviously, they've had a strong year to date run. But I think that that strength continues. When you look for recovery plays, you know, all the conversations that I'm having with clients and investors are all about how do we think about gaining exposure to the cyclical recovery and hopefully a post COVID world. And that's gonna start with analog semis, right? It's gonna start with the restocking and the leverage to the industrial and automotive uh, trends, and, and you're seeing that TI just absolutely crushed numbers this evening. Uh, they grew revenues by 22% year-on-year, year, driven by automotive and industrial, and you know this is a large GDP-type grower, and they just posted that 22%-type revenue growth, and the thing to uh, keep in mind there is that inventories are on the decline, so it's sort of the perfect storm for analog semis where you've got the restocking that's occurring because inventories are lean, reselling uh, resells are, are strong, and that certainly benefits the group. And the other obvious um, uh, subsector that's benefiting right now is compute. When you think about the infrastructures that are being built out to support the work from anywhere type lifestyle, AMD is certainly benefiting, right? You had 53% year-on-year revenue growth as their, uh, as their PC server and gaming business uh, absolutely accelerated in a pretty meaningful way, uh, partly due to, uh, to strong execution from the team at AMD as well.
0: But you, you choose Intel over AMD, Jared. Do I have that right?
10: When you, when you look at the risk rewards between the two, it, it, it's pretty interesting because the, if you, if you take a step at, take a step back with respect to what happened last week at Intel, they beat revenues by two and a half billion dollars versus the street, right? Just a massive revision. Uh, they accelerated their 10 nanometer and seven nanometer process technology roadmaps versus expectations. Uh, and they gave a Q1 guide that was, uh, that was above, uh, above the street. And Pat Gelsinger, the new incoming CEO who is incredibly well respected, uh, came on the call and talked about, uh, committing themselves to the IBM model, the integrated device manufacturing type model where they're going to manufacture their own chips uh, for seven nanometer in 2023. So when you combine all of that in the context of uh, where the stock is trading at a 50 to 60 percent discount relative to the, to the, uh, to the broader group, uh, you know, a lot of com- conversations I'm having with investors are how, how do we think about just the relative risk reward uh, in Intel versus AMD.
0: Jared, always great to get your insights. Thank you. Jared so of Jeffries. Let's get back to Josh Lipton. He's got more on the, from the call on Microsoft. Uh, Josh. So, Melissa,
1: Microsoft CFO Amy Hood just giving guidance, and you see the stock taking another leg up in the after hours. Let me bring that to you. Remember, she goes segment by segment. So, productivity and business processes, that would be Office 365, LinkedIn, 3.35 to 3.6 billion for Q3. That is stronger than the street was looking for. Intelligent Cloud, that's a segment that would include Azure, 14.7 to 14.95 billion. Again, stronger than the street was forecasting. And Finally, more personal computing, 12.3 to 12.7 billion. Street was closer to 11.6 billion. Within that segment, she certainly called out gaming, saying they look for revenue growth there of 40% in part driven by those new consoles. Amy Hood saying we have executed well in the first half of this fiscal year. Melissa, back to you.
0: Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton, stocks up 5%. Guy Dami, don't know if you want to comment on Microsoft or Jared's choice of Intel over AMD.
2: No, I understand what Jared's saying about Intel. I think Dan would probably agree. And and by the way, we talked about it at 5 o'clock. We've talked about it for a while. Dan talked about Intel at 48. It traded up to 63 and change. So good for Dan. And in valuation, Intel is a much more compelling case. I totally get it. I'll just bring up Texas Instruments real quick, because why not? It was a very good quarter, and he mentioned the revenue growth. If there's a problem with Texas Instruments, you're not getting the same EPS growth. You had big operating margin beat, which is a really good thing. And their profit uh, in one of their segments was significantly better than the street was looking for. My problem with Texan here is not revenue growth. It's EPS growth. And I think it's getting dragged up with the rest of the chip. So in order, if you want to play the game, uh, I'd rather AMD over Intel and Intel over Texan.
0: Well, there is no game, but I guess you can play it if you choose. (laughs) Um, Tim, I don't know where you stand on any of those three.
5: I... I I stand offended that Guy played the game by himself is what I, I do. I mean, and, 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 you know, I think it's, it's, it's an embarrassment to us. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Um, Intel over AMD. Uh, I'm long Intel. Uh, I haven't been happy with the path forward and, and a lot of the news flow. Um, and, and I think Texan over AMD as well. Mm. Um, but Intel over Texan and, and, and it's really a function of both. I, I think the, the, the storyline at, at Intel is is far from exciting and bullish but um this is still a company that's you know had a record uh top line year uh in the last fiscal year i mean it, and and has enormous cash flow um so there's a lot to fix there um, they're gonna fix it um i think the story at texan is is uh yeah a little more commoditized and a higher multiple that's you know, a little bit more difficult to justify um relative to amd but that's you know uh, i think why we play would you rather rather
0: Favorite chip stock, Dan?
3: Um, I'd say Intel. And I think that, you know... Oftentimes, you know, you you hear that old saying in the markets about uh, buying low, selling high. You know, we've been conditioned over the last few years to buy high and just try to sell higher. Um, Every once in a while, you have a good opportunity to buy a unique value when the sentiment is really poor, right in front of like some sort of big fundamental shift, um, whether it be secular or whether it be relative to execution. And I think that's probably where Intel fits right now. So I think somewhere in the mid 50s, where the stock is right now, is probably probably a really nice opportunity. I think you have risk to the downside of about, I don't know, 10, 15 per, or so percent. But to the upside, I think you probably have up to 70 over the next year or so if things start to go right under new management.
0: All right, coming up, the Reddit rebellion. Our regulatory red flags ahead. One former SEC attorney sure thinks so. He'll make his case. Plus, Freeport McMoran in free fall today. What's behind this move? And is there a buying opportunity? We've got that trade next. And you've got questions. We've got answers. Keep those Twitter questions coming in. We'll get to them later on in the show. Much more ahead in this bonus hour of Fast Money. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill for you on shares of freeport macmoran falling almost 7% today as the copper mining giant cut production targets. Uh, Tim, resource trade and following this one closely.
5: Yeah, and and I I wouldn't run too far away from this one. And, and even after a sixteen percent pullback in the last few days, as if somebody knew what was going to come out here, um, stock's still up fifty five percent in the third quarter, and and still you know very much on an upward trajectory. Um, the things that are concerning here, right, softer outlook for gold and copper sales. The thing that probably worries me more, knowing the company's history and knowing the, the history of the sector, uh, is the CapEx increase and the guide for 2021. And, and that's I, I don't want to see uh, I, I want to see free cash flow. And, and when I look at mining companies, I still you know it's a prove it prove me wrong uh, in terms of how they approach uh, growth. And it used to be growth at all costs, and their balance sheets couldn't withstand it. This is a company that's now uh, quite profitable. EBITDA beat by 15 percent. I think this, this trend continues higher. I think weaker dollar, I think global reacceleration, uh, I, I think infrastructure build out, and I think actually copper prices go significantly higher, and they're at eight-and-a-half-year highs right now.
0: What do you think was wrong with the quarter, Guy.
5: It was in
2: line. I mean, when you had a run from 15 to 33 basically since September, you need more than just an in-line quarter. And to Tim's point, maybe the guidance scared some people. But I'll just say molybdenum just to say it, because why not? That's something we used to say all the time back wow. in the day. But what say I will say, I fast. think the dollar is going to continue. I, it's hard for me, Tim, as you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm challenged in a lot of different things. I'll say, I think the dollar is going to continue to get torched. I think every rally in the dollar is going to get shorter and shorter in duration. So if you believe, like I do, that the U.S. dollar is headed lower in 2021, I think you stay the course in FCX. Understanding, you're going to see moves like this over a two- or three-day period. Um, I'm not scared. I think below 24, I'd be concerned. I don't think we're getting there,
3: though.
0: What is your favorite weak dollar trade, Dan?
3: Um, it would be long of guys gold, the GLD, but the thing can't get out of its own way. And if you look at the chart in the ETF that tracks the shiny metal, the thing has been in this horrible downtrend from the August highs. Um, it found a little support um, of late here, but that's that's the one. If you think that... Um, you know, if you think the dollar's going the way the guy thinks that Dixie's going to break ninety here and it's on its way back to the mid eighties, then you'd want to be long the GLD. But the other thing I think that the, a lot of the kids today, maybe it's the Reddit crowd or the Robin Hooders or whatever, they're buying the digital gold. They're buying BK's uh, Bitcoin here, so maybe that's one of the reasons why gold has lost a little bit of its luster of late.
0: All right, coming up. Another big move for GameStop. The stock is soaring in the after hour session. Coming up, you're going to hear from one former SEC attorney who says the big move could raise red flags. And later, Twitter on a tear. We'll break down how to trade the social stock. All that and much more on this special edition of Fast Money. Welcome back to this bonus hour Fast Money. The Reddit rebellion continuing to play out today. GameStop surging again after hours with so much volatility surrounding the name. Our next guest says there should be more than a halt on the stock. He thinks the SEC should actually suspend trading altogether on GameStop. Let's bring in Jacob Frankel. He's a former senior counsel for the SEC's enforcement division, now a partner at Dickinson Wright. Jacob, great to have you as always. What, what in your view is going wrong here? This is just a group well, of, of investors really, on, a, on a social media site.
11: Well, there's nothing wrong with the free speech. But what we really have here, in my view, is a kid's gaming stock that needs adult supervision. And I think that adult supervision is probably an SEC trading suspension. Everything that's going on is certainly going to invite an SEC investigation. The whole purpose of a trading suspension, which is different than a circuit breakers, is the SEC has the administrative ability to suspend trading with our questions about the accuracy of publicly available information. And you have this competing dialogue as to what really is going on at the company and what's motivating the the trading in the the stock where the shorts and the longs. But also one of the bases for a trading suspension is, is a possible or potential stock manipulation. That would be something that the SEC would look at. But again, when you have this level of volatility and the circuit breakers are not sufficient or not accomplishing their objective. That really is the next option. And just to be clear, a trading suspension is not permanent. It is strict it is a ten day trading suspension that is within the SEC's statutory authority. And it's something that the SEC wielded thirty-five to forty times in connection with COVID related stocks. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you prove market manipulation? I mean, how do you prove that anything that anybody is saying on on Reddit or any other site for that matter is wrong or done with an intent to manipulate the stock price? And why is this different from a bunch of investors on an Apple thread? Talking about the stock of Apple, it's just Apple's a much bigger market cap, doesn't move as much.
11: Well, Melissa, that that, that really is a great question. That's exactly what the SEC would look at. And what it it would look at is it it will align – what is being said, the accuracy of what is being said, and the who is the, who is doing the trading, and is there some type of big word from the last couple of years, collusion within that trading? But when we're talking about manipulation, what we're really talking about, from an investigative purpose, is that the SEC would look at whether there's actual active trading for the purpose of raising or, in the case of the shorts, depressing the price of a security. For the purpose of inducing others to buy or sell that security, that's what the SEC is going to look at. It's a very time-consuming process. It's the kind of stuff I worked on when I was at the SEC, and actually found very, very challenging and interesting, because you really then are getting into the motivation, the communications, the timing, and the information. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, everything's fast.
0: Well, let me ask you this question, and, and I guess I'm, I'm just going to play the role of devil's advocate, and from the perspective of what I've read on on this Wall Street bets thread, how is this any different from a couple of hedge funds or a few hedge funds saying that they're going to go short a stock? They've communicated via email. One goes on CNBC or on Twitter and states that they have a short case, puts out a YouTube video. Isn't that the same? Th- isn't that manipulation, except on, on a bigger scale? These are bigger shareholders. They have bigger voices. They're the quote-unquote smart money on Wall Street. They can get away with it. That's not manipulation?
11: No, and, 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 and certainly hedge funds um, can participate uh, in manipulative activity. There's nothing that, you know, that, that, that really puts one institution over a series of individuals. When we talk about stock manipulation, I mean, I remember back in 2001, the SEC brought an enforcement case against a 15-year-old high school student for stock manipulation. So it's not that there's any particular characteristic, and certainly the institutions do it. What we're really talking about here is the conduct in connection with this stock, which is which is experiencing such volatility, and the circuit breakers don't seem to be addressing it satisfactorily. What I'm saying is that is an option. But even if the SEC were not to do it, and granted, the SEC tends to use, use trading suspensions almost exclusively in the small cap space, um, but the fact is, There is conduct here that certainly has the SEC likely already investigating. And in all likelihood, there's also a parallel criminal investigation, because ultimately, if you get down to it, you marry up the fundamentals of this company with a stock price. I think there are a lot of questions and the analysts are asking those same questions.
5: Mr. Frankel, it's, it's Tim Seymour. Thank you for joining us. I guess my question is really around enforcement of social media because of, of kind of the group, the group think and, and uh, the lack of disclosure. Is there anything developing within the SEC that you know, seeks to at least uh, tighten up the, the, the reins around this? Because it does seem that these forums are, are ones that, that really almost anything goes. Well, it, it, it goes beyond
11: that, because if you look at how many cases have to be brought around, what's being said on, for example, the message around small cap stocks, that really is the issue. There is, you know, the SEC will not touch free speech. And what I'm saying is not in, intended in any way to suggest that people don't have the right to express their opinion. The issue is whether they're disseminating right. materially false and misleading information and for what purpose. Um. Because you know, that is really the trigger for whether there is securities fraud, and when it comes to because we're talking about an exchange listed security as opposed to what we always talk about in terms of Section 10b fraud, the anti fraud provision. There's another provision in the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, which is Section 9a2, 9 alpha 2, which talks about manipulation okay. specifically, and that's where you're talking about. Active trading for the purpose of inducing activity. And I think that's what the SEC is going to look at. Um, I don't think the SEC is talking about suppressing free speech, but the source of manipulative activity very much are message boards and these informal forums. And the question is, where does it cross the line? And that's what an investigation will seek to determine.
0: Um, just quickly, Jacob, and I'm, my producers are going to scream at me for this, but let, let's say that the SEC finds that there has been manipulation going on. Are they going to find the hundreds of people on this Wall Street bets thread? I mean, how does that go down?
11: No, I, I, think, I think there's a question as what is the source of information? I mean, there are a lot of analogies we could actually come up with, but I think it really is going to boil down to who is saying what and why? Uh-huh. I mean, if you look at if you look at manipulative activity, there is frequently some type of collusive activity. People are getting together and actually planning out what they're going to say for a manipulative purpose. Manipulation cases are not easy to make. I don't want to suggest that for a moment, but I do think the SEC will bring a case as easily as it would against one or two people, as it would against ten or more, particularly in a situation such as this. We have the level of volatility that we're talking about and where it has the opportunity to send a message as to what is and is
0: not acceptable communication in the market. Jacob, thank you for your time. Good to see you, Jacob Frankel. Um, We're going to have much more on this retail trading boom. Don't miss a first on CNBC interview with the co-CEO of Robinhood. That is tomorrow, Squawk Box, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, Dan, your thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, you know, this story has gotten a lot of attention that it's just a retail thing. Make no mistake about it. There are no shortage of hedge funds that are um, playing in this, I suspect, who, who know the game. And, and they are just pushing this thing up in big, big size. Now, obviously, you can go and see all the small amounts that are trading and the frequency in which they're trading. But I just don't believe that you can have a bunch of know-nothings on Robinhood doing this and, and this sort of activity, especially in the aftermarket. So I think when it's all said and done, you're going to see that institutions were a large part of this sort of squeeze, this sort of magnitude is fairly unheard of. I'll just mention this, though. This is not new to Wall Street. Short squeezes are uh, as old as uh, my good friend Guy Adami over there. And uh, we've seen them before. I just think the way in which people are going about them and the way that they've been democratized um, through social media and Reddit and all this sort of stuff, that's probably what's changed here.
0: All right. Coming up, is the bird the word? <laughs> Twitter shares taking flight. We'll break down that trade next. And speaking of Twitter, we're taking your tweets. So keep them coming. We'll answer them later on in the show. We're back in two. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter jumping 4% today. The company launching a new feature to combat the spread of misinformation on its platform. Birdwatch will allow users to flag potentially misleading tweets. Is that why it's a 4% guy? What do you think?
2: No, they they settled a shareholder lawsuit. They bought getting into the newsletter business, which is good for them. I mean, I, I think that might be part of it. But I also think Jack Dorsey is one of the most underrated CEOs in the country. I mean, think about what he's done with both Square and Twitter. It's pretty remarkable. Twitter continues to be in this uptrend since the March lows. Uh, It really has not broken that uptrend, despite this move we've seen to the downside. And I think this stock continues to rally into earnings, if I'm not mistaken, on February 9th.
0: It's like Dan is in your head. Dan's got a chart, I think, showing that uptrend.
3: Yeah. So Guy and I talk stocks every once in a while. You know, it's interesting. You know, that event is February 9th. Um, you know, my view when the stock was in the low 50s a couple of weeks ago was that once Trump leaves the platform or forced to be leave, then a lot of his followers leave, that they're going to see lower levels of engagement. We saw a massive pull forward last year when they saw 20 million net ads. I think it was in Q2, but in Q3, they saw a big drop. So I wouldn't expect to see – greater um, uh, monthly active users or monetizable monthly active users when they report on February 9th. But the point about what Guy just made, the acquisition of review, and then they have a February 25th Analyst Day, and that's the day that I think that they start to talk about some of these new innovations that may come in. This is a platform that hasn't changed much. So let's go to the chart. It stopped to the penny at that uptrend. If you look at the last two times, it hit that uptrend late June uh, and then again in um, November, early November, the stock over the next two months rallied 40%. So you had to bounce off that uptrend. Maybe you see back to those prior highs in the low to mid-50s over the next couple weeks. All
0: right. Coming up, Walgreens soaring in the after-hours trading session. We'll bring you the trade and the details behind this move next. Welcome back to this bonus hour Fast Money. Check out the big move in Walgreens in the after-hours. The stock up more than 8% as the company secures some serious star power. Let's get to our Kate Rogers with the details. Kate.
7: Melissa, that's right. Very, very true on Star Power. Starbucks is announcing this afternoon its current chief operating officer. Rosbrew Brewer is going to be leaving the company at the end of February. CNBC's now matched The Wall Street Journal report that Brewer will be named CEO of Walgreens as early as this week, citing sources. Now, once that announcement's made, she's going to join a very short list of female CEOs at Fortune 500 companies and will also notably be the only black female CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Challenger Grain Christmas also reports that more women came into the CEO position in 2020 than in any other year. Now, Brewer had been with Starbucks since 2017, was also previously CEO of Sam's Club, so she does have experience in both the retail and restaurants world. At Starbucks, she was working closely on the company's transformation and new store formats, including those important drive throughs ping-up and mobile order and pay, also streamlining the customer experience, working on things like eliminating certain tasks for baristas to after hours so they could focus on consumer engagement in stores and boost those scores there. Starbucks also teamed up with Washington State on its health care vaccination rollout, as did Amazon, where Roz Brewer is also a board member. It's interesting to see the health care ties through all of these companies as this news comes out. Now, both stocks moving on the news. Starbucks was lower. All that, of course, could be uh, tied to its earnings report. And also, Walgreens got a nice pop on the news, up over 7 percent in the after-hours trade. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Tim, you're familiar with Brewer from her role at Starbucks?
5: Yeah, you know, big loss for for Starbucks. Congratulations to Miss Brewer. I mean, it's it's an exciting opportunity. I think it's very exciting for Walgreens shareholders, and I think the stock has 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 languished. Uh, you know, looking to to complete the long term strategy. A lot of different things that have happened already, including that Alliance Healthcare sale, which was very good for Walgreens shareholders uh and, and i think and you know, i mentioned some of the initiatives that that uh village md which is essentially a primary care uh digital provider gets gets them into a business they should be in i think the core focus on retail uh and and digital pharma is is where this company's going to be and i think there's a lot of value there and and i think intrinsically some of the other investments that they've made they've got cash to deploy and i think they will be acquisitive so i think it's an exciting time to be uh with a company that i you know these are the moments you wait for investors. I think this is one of them.
0: Still ahead on this bonus hour of Fast Money, we're getting you set up for tomorrow's trading day. A ton of big household names reporting earnings from Apple to Facebook to Tesla. We need to watch when they report when this bonus hour fast returns. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. We've got some time to take some viewer questions. First up, a question on the Golden Arches.
4: My
9: name is Matthew from Rhode Island, um, new investor just started trading, bought stocks uh, during the first of the pandemic, uh, bought heavy on McDonald's. Just wanted to know, um, should I hold, should I sell after the pandemic? Do you know if there's any news in the pipeline? Do you know if it's going to explode like Chipotle? Uh, things like that.
0: Tim, what is your take?
5: Well, Matthew, I I think McDonald's is a very strong year ahead of it, especially after the investments that they've made in their digital initiatives and, and obviously remaking the menu... Frankly, repositioning the brand, and I still think this is one of the world's great iconic brands uh, and, and cash flow generative. Again, they spent years also uh, reworking the franchisee model and, and building this company to be positioned for the next wave of growth. So um, stocks actually not done a whole lot over the last couple of years uh, between 215 and 225. I don't think there's a CMG type move ahead of it. But boy, that would be fantastic. I I actually just think steady as she goes here. Free cash flow generation, uh, a very clear model, uh, very big brand at at a time, I think, coming out of COVID. They've done very well in COVID and been defensive. I think this is going to benefit from reopening.
0: McDonald's or CMG, Dan?
3: Uh, McDonald's. And, And I agree with everything that Tim just said, the fact that the stock has consolidated well below those all-time highs from a couple months ago um, shouldn't be that bearish of of a sort of thing. We've seen massive rotations here. Um, So to me, I I think McDonald's sets up for a run back to um, its prior highs sometime in the next few months.
0: From fast food to fitness, Alex from New Jersey has the next question.
9: I want to get your perspective on Peloton stock. Now, Given the large orders due to stay-at-home workers and Peloton expanding its manufacturing to increase production and keep up with demand, Even with analyst downgrades, do you think today's dip is a good time to buy for the blowout quarter I'm anticipating? And every time I go on the road, I see Peloton's vehicles even more than Amazon's. What
2: do you think?
0: What do you think, Guy? Tell Alex.
2: Listen, you know what I think. I love Peloton. I'm not only a big fan of the stock, I'm a big fan of the product. My man Dennis Morton, that's who I ride with in case anybody cares. And I understand people will crush this on valuation. But I think Peloton continues to work in this environment. President Biden has one in the White House. Uh, Their production woes are going to be assuaged with that with that acquisition they made. So I think you stay the course with P.T.O.N.
0: Dennis, Matt, Ali, Emma. Those are my picks. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on Peloton? Yeah,
3: I think that it's a great example of where we all have the, the product. We love the service. Um, you know, for us, it's a good value. I think the pre-core acquisition is important because I think there's a lot of people in America who maybe don't want to buy that expensive hardware or don't want their hardware at all or want much cheaper hardware and they want the streaming service. I guess the issue is going to be valuation. It's not going to be the issue for the valuation right now because people don't care about valuation, but they report next week and, you know, you may see this one come your way a little bit um, and then maybe buy it for that. That earnings event. But the one quarter where one of these names misses and disappoints, the whole game is up for a lot of these things for some time to come. And you just don't want to be the last one trying to play for that last big quarter before people care about valuation.
0: All right. Next up, we got a viewer question on the financials.
10: Hey, Mal, how you doing? Love the show. Got a quick one for our guy, Guy. Uh, what do you think of City these days? And when are you going to wake up and admit that the Sabres are taking the Rangers to town tonight?
0: All right, we admit, we we took this question because he mentioned the Rangers guys love specifically. Um, So, Guy, what do you tell Trevor?
2: Well, I'm going to go financials first. Citi is interesting. They just reported earnings tangible book was $73.88. I think it's reasonable in this environment to see a trade tangible book. I think one of the analysts just upgraded the stock as a $70 price target. Makes a lot of sense that it gets there on benign tape. In terms of the Rangers and the Sabres, (laughs) uh, it's unfortunate for you. Enjoy Jack Eichel, the little time he has left in Buffalo, because he will be playing for the New York Rangers at some point. And I like the Rangers big tonight, coming off a tough loss in Pittsburgh. Figure 5-2 blue shirts. Back to you, Mel.
0: Very important uh, information there. Um, Tim, quick thoughts on City.
5: Uh, yeah. Look, I, I think the Rangers are. It's not their year for the Cup, but I, I do think the <laughs> progress here. There's, there's really only one team in the state of New York, and uh is a great town, great people. Um, dream on. Is that what you asked me? No. But we're
0: gonna move on, oh. um, unless you have some okay. quick thoughts on city. <laughs> city. Remember that big I, I bang do, you know what ticker. I do? C
5: how about that? I'm actually I'm actually long Citibank. I think this has been a, a disproportionate pullback in banks as the yield curve has come back. What happened? To all those people said we were quickly going to 150 or 170. I don't know that you need that. Um, I think the, the, the earnings season for banks was very, very bullish. The regulatory environment is is far more constructive for banks than people thought it was going to be under this administration. Citibank, to me, is a lot of operational leverage. Uh, and then how about all those provisions, uh, those loss provisions that are going to be rolling off on Citibank?
0: All right. Well, you know, tomorrow's a very big day, very, very big day when it comes to earnings. We've got Apple, Tesla, Facebook, just to name a few. That brings us to our next question.
3: What is up, Investment Committee? My name is Connor. And I'm Lucas. We go to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and we're here today to ask you guys a question about Tesla. With Tesla approaching a 2,000
9: PDE ratio, we want to know. Does Tesla have to absolutely blow out earnings to
3: continue its monstrous rally? Or will the recent hype around EV and growth stocks continue to attract investors to Tesla with minimal consideration to the underlying
10: fundamentals? Thanks for your input.
0: I had to do a double take. I didn't know who the heck Investment Committee I mean, I guess you guys got some sort of a promotion. You sound very official now. Um, and by the way, they were wearing <laughs> matching shirts. So, Dan, what's your take? <laughs>
3: Well, well, first things first, Mel, Wapner calls his crew the investment committee. I think uh-huh. he just kind of mixed up a bunch of really good looking guys on fast money for whatever you call those guys on the halftime report. Um, I'll just say this. You know, when you think about Tesla, we often say this about stocks that trade like 88 or 89. Usually they go to 100. Well, this stock... You know, there's I don't know what the heck they're going to say to make the stock go down. Um, They give us deliveries. um, You know, I just don't know. I mean, listen, you know, this group, this really good looking group, the investment committee, um, we haven't been particularly great on this stock. So I think uh, go with what the Reddit is telling you, because that seems to be the way that these stocks are trading lately.
0: Okay, I think you're saying that in jest, knowing you. Um, but we'll move on. Tesla's among the earnings reporting this week. We've got a lot on deck, in fact. So, Guy, what are you watching? And what specifically within each earnings are you watching?
2: Facebook. To me, mm-hmm. I, I think Facebook is the most fascinating one out of all of them. Listen, obviously, Apple and Tesla are going to be great. But Facebook, to me, the fact that it traded up to 303 in September, had that huge pullback to 250, has rallied since then. I think the setup for Facebook has really hasn't been uh, this good in quite some time. And I'm somebody who thinks, by the way, that Facebook could really be in the back half of this year, really whacked by the whole uh, ESG investing. So I'm really curious to see what Facebook does and what they say. Uh, That's the one I'm most focused on. But quickly back to the North Carolina guys. They should really be concerned about their basketball program, which has really fallen on (laughs) difficult times, as has Dukes, by the way. Uh, and I don't think Tesla is an earnings story. I don't think it's ever been an earnings story. It's a momentum story. And I don't think the momentum has waned
0: at all. All right. Tim, uh, which earnings? What are you watching within that earnings?
5: Yeah, I, and I wish I could say that the Georgetown basketball story was uh, also at top, top flight these days. I think it's Apple speaking of top flight. Uh, you know, Apple has set the tone both in terms of the weighting it has for the overall market. The tone it has set for this week, for the last couple quarters, um, The most important part of the Apple story to me really is is around the services story. And and as you've now gotten to this case where there's an expectation of a high uh, high teens uh, growth number in services, services alone uh, at this point are are a very important part of the company. Uh, The App Store, I think, grew 40 percent or is expected to uh, this quarter. So uh, once again, Apple to me is the story that that moves the market.
0: Dan, how about you?
5: Yeah, I agree
3: with with Tim. And and as we were talking about with Microsoft, you know, Apple is at an all time higher within one percent from yesterday's high. Uh, I just don't know who the incremental buyer is to break this thing out in a meaningful way. Again, these are four trillion dollars worth of stocks that we're going to have reactions to earnings that were expected to be good. And they are going to good. And the last thing I'll just say about Apple is if they say that there are um, shortages of semiconductors, which is causing them not to be able to sell all the phones that they want to be doing, then that's probably a bullish thing. Investors just kind of blow it off and say, that only makes me feel better about the next quarter's results.
0: 20% of the S&P 500 reporting earnings this week, Guy. Are we going to change the market's direction based on this week, you think?
2: Yeah, I actually do think. I think the VIX at 21.5 is too cheap. I do think the market is absolutely setting up for, you know, this 5 to 8% pullback in the S&P 500 that people are waiting for. So I absolutely do think that. I just want to say hi to Shepard Smith uh, as we're his lead-in tonight. And I know Shep's a big honor. Fast Money fan, so Huge. what
0: up, Shep? All right. Thank you, traders, and thank you out there for watching this bonus hour fast. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.